Hey there, friends, and welcome to the I Hear Design podcast, your source for interior design and architecture news, interviews, and opinions. This is Robert Yaminen, and I hope you're doing well wherever you're tuning in from. If you read the news these days, it seems that people don't agree on much about anything. But I'd bet that if you ask any interior designer or architect what they think about environmental product declarations, odds are pretty darn good that they're going to agree they're complicated. Specifiers have been clamoring for more tools to better understand and compare sustainable products on the market. And while EPDs certainly offer a level of transparency that's needed, it doesn't necessarily mean the waters aren't still a bit muddy. To help clear things up, I recently sat down with Jane Rohde of JSR Associates, who's been working with the Resilient Flooring Institute, our generous supporter of this episode, to help educate designers on EPDs and take some of the guesswork out of the process. Have a listen to the conversation we had that will hopefully demystify the role of EPDs in sustainable product specification. Well, hey, Jane, it's good to see you again. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks very much, Robert. It's always a pleasure to see you as well. Awesome. Yeah. Well, how have you been? How's your summer going? Well, what, what are some things you've been working on lately? So we've been uh, pretty busy, as as most everyone has been, I think. Uh, <laughs> and somehow it went from spring into summer, and I don't know really where the transition actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So much so, going on. It is. And so project-wise, we've, we've been working in the residential assisted living side, and we've really seen a huge uh, shift in the long-term care work. In sustainability, we've been working with RFCI and, and the Resilient Floor Covering Institute, and we have some new exciting initiatives that we've been working on. So we're very excited about those. And I think it will help the design community have a much better idea about where to get some of the information and data they've been looking for. Uh, so that's kind of been our, our effort on the sustainability side. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, speaking of sustainability, I mean, I know Neocon is right around the corner as we're recording this today. And one of the things I know I personally hear a lot from manufacturers whenever we go visit showrooms uh, is a lot of sustainability messaging. Um, and we're hearing more and more often about, you know, third party certifications, environmental product declarations, things like that, uh, which can get pretty complicated pretty quickly. <laughs> I think you could agree. Uh, so I'm I'm super glad you're here because I know you have a real uh, solid understanding of EPDs. And for our conversation today, I was hoping, you know, you could help break that down for all of our listeners out there. So happy to do so. So environmental product declarations, we started creating a, a course around it. And eventually first, it was just going to be something that was like a few slides that kind of explain them. And then the more we worked on it and realized that there's actually learning objectives around this. We actually ended up developing a full continuing education course um, with you all. And and so as a result, though, the EPD market, it, it's still confusing to the designers. And we hear that a lot from Green Globe's assessors and people working with LEED and, and that type of thing. However, that is one of the largest uh, segments in terms of the questions that are responded in LEED. Um, around EPDs is one of the most frequently used credits now. So that means that we've shifted in the market a little bit more in terms of understanding the differences. So there's two types of type three EPDs. One is the industry-wide EPD, which is a gathering of multiple companies that then put their data together, it's aggregated, and then they create uh, the, the EPD. It's all based in lifecycle assessment. It's all based on ISO standards and a process and what they call product category rules or P PCRs. And that is basically to keep consistency in terms of how the life cycle is being completed and how the data is then uh, created. So it's third party verified. You have a program operator that could be a various, there's several different program operators out there that then review that life cycle assessment and also assemble the actual environmental product declaration. The other type is product 
specific EPDs. And we're seeing that more and more because it's the data obviously is more specific to a product and it's not an average. So you're starting to look at the aggregation of data from an individual manufacturer and an individual product is how the product specific EPDs uh, work. Um, we find that um, building transparency. So if you're familiar with buildingtransparency.org, they've done uh, an amazing job of raising the awareness about the importance of not only global warming potential and embodied carbon, but they've also raised the awareness on the concept of understanding an EPD better. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And so when, let's say, a designer specifier is sort of diving into, they're looking at these EPDs, um, you know, how do they go about like reading the type three EPD data? Um, you know, how do they make sense of that information when they're looking to specify a particular product based on what's presented uh, in that EPD? Um, I think that that is also the challenge, too, because you have to look at what are the different impact uh categories that they're looking at. So global warming potential is really probably the highest one on everyone's mind right now with climate change and all the yeah. impacts to the environment as well as to to people and you know geography and, and people and populations and everything like that in terms of population health. So as as we look at that though there's other ones. There's ones on ozone and there's other um you know eutrophication and di- different uh of the uh, impact categories that may be of importance to a particular designer. And you have to dig in to it a little bit because you have to be able to read it, but there is a segment in there that summarizes the different impact categories, the measurement of what it is, and and what the impact is. Um, when we talk about comparability, which in in ISO terms, we're really not supposed to compare an EPD to an EPD. However, if it has consistencies in terms of the PCR and what's utilized to create the life cycle assessment and that kind of thing, there's been more um, more looking at using that data as a comparable tool. Where that really ramped up a lot the most is in building transparency. So what they did is they took the EPD number for global warming potential, so it's XYZ, and with that number, they did a methodology that added things like looking at the emissions from a grid, uh, looking at the geographic location, the transportation, different things that would actually um, impact the embodied carbon of a product. And and that's for uh, industry-wide as well as for product-specific. So in doing that, they have a different number. So what we've found is, is how do we give that number to the designer? And the material databases have started connecting that information directly to them. So the, the two that, that we've been looking at the closest is uh, Echomedes, because Echomedes has a connection with RFCI. We have rfci.echomedes.com. And it is a dedicated database to the resilient floor covering industry. So as a product category, you can now connect directly in, you can look up the manufacturer and you can actually see where it falls, but you'll also have those numbers right in the database that'll show EPD global warming potential and EC3 global warming potential. So when you're looking at comparability, we would suggest looking at the EPD information that comes that has been uh, utilized by building transparency as one way to do that comparison. Um, so it's, it's still complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but tools have started getting it a little easier. The other one that uh, we look at a lot is Sustainable Minds. Um, Sustainable Minds has a very good uh, uh, program where they, they're very limited in scope in terms of EPDs, HPDs, and embodied carbon. So they have that direct connection. So if you're looking up a product and you're looking for the EPD, just so you can meet the criteria in a building rating system, you can also hit the EC3 connectivity and it takes you right to that product page with all the information and data on global warming potential and other 
um, other impact indicators, if that's what you're looking for, will all be on the building transparency link. So, so there's linkages of different databases, including mindful materials and Echomedes and sustainable minds. All of those are really good resources for the A&D community to find their products mm-hmm. and be able to evaluate not just the EPD data, but also the embodied carbon, which I think is what most people are looking for at this point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that was a question I wanted to ask you, you know, where they can find, where our listeners can find uh, EPD and related sustainability information. But those are some great resources there. Um, so uh, you had mentioned earlier that you're getting a lot of questions from people that are working on you know, specific project types like Green Globes or LEED. Um, so how do EPDs, um, how are they applicable to green building rating systems like those uh, and various building codes as well? Oh, that's a great question. So, uh, both LEED and Green Globes, they include that in all of the different materials categories um, for having EPDs. And right now, we're still working on the level of not, not down to the granularity of the embodied carbon numbers, but we are looking at needing a certain number of EPDs to get the credit. So it could be 10, it could be 12, it could be a variety, it could be industry-wide specific, it could be product-specific, you get more points typically for product-specific EPDs. And so that's how it's utilized for both um, for Green Globes and for LEED. And then they kind of have optimization credits, which is that comparison that we talked about. And there's different ways you can do that in terms of looking at one product. So say you have a manufacturer who did a, a EPD, I will say, three years ago. And they've done another one and, you know, at the end of that period or five, it's usually five years. But if they've renewed it and they've improved their numbers, then you could compare that if they're using all the same processes to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that is one one way to look at that from the optimization uh, credit perspective and, and lead. And there is some of that in terms of uh, comparability and, and ways to do that um, also within the Green Globes. Um, in terms of ASHRAE 189.1, which that is a standard, that standard is the content for the International Green Construction Code. So with that being in there, we also have not only the EPDs and both industry-wide as well as product-specific, but also multiple attribute standards. So you may see something that is a standard that has environmental but it also may have health and wellness and social impacts that are part of that certification. So that's another certification to look at. LEED has a pilot credit that includes that. Um, ASHRAE includes both the EPDs as well as the multiple attribute standards, and Green Globes includes both as well. Right. Okay, sure. Um, so do you do you have any, like, closing thoughts on maybe the, the importance of using EPDs or what considerations designers and specifiers need to keep in mind when they're evaluating products on the market? Like, it's not just a matter of does a product have an EPD, but, like, I mean, what are some what are some maybe some rules of thumb that they can kind of uh, just keep in mind as, as they're looking at these? So so what I would say is, and this is a broader, maybe a broader answer to your question, mm-hmm. is that what I really don't want people to do is go, oh, this product versus that product has a better embodied carbon, and I pulled that off of the EPD. However, one product may have a 15-year service life, and another product might have a 30-year service life. Mm. Right. So are you really selecting for the longevity of the product? So we really hope that people will look at it more broadly, understand that it's a process that, yes, this is one factor to look at and evaluate. And yes, here's my checkbox that I have the EPD itself. Here's the data that I want to use from that EPD. But then looking at it in a multiple attribute way so that you're looking at 
performance, the application. So obviously healthcare versus uh, residential is going to be a different application and you're going to need different performance requirements. So we want people to look at that. We want them to look at indoor air quality. We want them to look at VOCs. So, so again, selecting product is never a simple process, right? It's, it is a complex process, but this just gives you a few more tools with the additional sustainability considerations to, to think about. And you also know that if an organization does a product specific EPD or they're participating in an industry wide EPD, that they're on the environmental sustainable path as well. So, you know, that it does say a lot about a corporation who commits to that, whether it's an HPD or an EPD or what the declaration is or multiple attribute certifications. That means that they're looking at this and that means that, that you can have a dialogue with them, you know, in terms of the technical side. But but please don't forget about cleanability and, and mm-hmm. function and application and accessibility and all those other components, because I think sometimes we can narrow down and go, oh, I'm going to select this because it's best. But it may not meet the product service life expectations for the client. It might not be able to be clean and disinfected, it, you know, all of those different criteria. So um, they're valuable, and uh, we're hoping that you'll take a look at the at the program that we developed because I think yeah. it'll help you understand them better. Um, and then with that understanding, you'll know that there's other things to evaluate at the same time when you're specifying products. Yeah, definitely. Well, it definitely sounds like a very complicated process, and I don't envy you or other designers out there that are, you know, having to sift through all this information, but I appreciate you breaking it all down, uh, and it's it's always great chatting with you, Jane. Thanks for being here. You too, Robert. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, for our listeners out there, if you do want to dive deeper into EPDs and earn CEU credit as well um, in the process, head over to our website at ins.design/ceu, where you will find a distance learning course titled Demystifying EPDs and Sustainable Design, written by today's guest, Jane Rohde, in partnership with the Resilient Floor Covering Institute. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, be well, everyone. Mm-hmm.